Well, you know, seeing what you're going through right now, um, I'm really excited about my message because I, I'm writing a book called Freedom Glory, okay? And how many want more glory? Anybody? Anybody want more glory? Okay, of course we do. And we talk a lot about glory, and yet I have asked the Lord sometimes, why don't we see the sustained glory? You know, we'll see a glimpse of glory, and we're excited, but we want more and more. In fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about how we're going to go from glory to glory, right? In fact, if you do want to turn your phones or iPads or buy actual physical Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but what happens, it's a familiar passage where Paul is comparing the glory that came to Moses with that which we have in the Spirit. I like to ask people, how many here have a greater glory in you than Moses had? Okay, good. So a couple raised their hand. They know the right answer. Why? Because the Bible's our authority. We're not saying we're greater than Moses, but see, Moses had a glory past him, and he shined like a light bulb, right? But did you know that from that day on, it started fading? Why? Because the glory wasn't inside him. In fact, as it faded, he got insecure about it. He didn't want people to know. He actually put a veil over his head, over his face, so no one could see that he was fading. But see, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Verse, um, we'll just go at verse 8. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, that's what came through Moses, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. See, what, what Paul is saying is that you think that's amazing that Moses shine on the outside, but he says, you have the Holy Spirit, and so as a result, the glory that you have within you is, is, is greater than what Moses had. Isn't that amazing? How many of you have greater glory in you than Moses had? Okay, if you believe Scripture, don't believe me, just believe Scripture. Well, as you continue on here, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, it, it comes to a very familiar verse and it's in verse 17, and it says, Now the Lord is spirit, okay, because he's been talking here about the spirit bringing the glory, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? And we who are with unveiled faces, meaning we're not like Moses, we're not veiled. We, the veil's been ripped away by Christ. As we contemplate the Lord's glory... We are being transformed into His image and going to ever-increasing glory, or going glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, as I meditate on this, and I want to let you know my whole book is on this theme, is this whole text is about glory. It's increasing glory. We're going to go from glory to glory. This is, by the way, why we worship. Thank you, worship team. Loved it the intimacy. reason we do it is we're contemplating His glory, and as a result, we are transformed into His likeness, and we go from glory to glory. That's why we worship. That's why you're going to meet tomorrow night for prayer. See, what's happening is there's something in you. But in the context of this whole 2 Corinthians 3, it's all about glory, 
except one verse, which I find is very, very interesting, is you have all this glory, 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 and then verse 17 talks about freedom. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. How many have heard that verse? What's it doing in here? Why is it all of a sudden, why is the... Why, if we're talking all about glory, suddenly you realize that there's a connection, in a sense, between glory and freedom. In other words, the greater the freedom in the Spirit, the greater the glory. And so, what I'm doing in my book is I'm sharing the five levels of glory, the five levels of freedom. I always joke, I have everything's fivefold for me, everything's five. My book is on five fingers of God. But here's the point, is that if we will look at different aspects of our life that relate to freedom, it will unlock, I believe, the potential to walk in greater glory. In fact, did you know that right here in this church, you have a culture? You have a context. There are things that are acceptable in this culture, things that are not acceptable. There are, there are things that we that we like, we don't like. I mean, their culture is developed by people who make choices, core values. I love your core value of being an abiding place, okay? You've declared it in your name, and you declare it by what you do. So that's wonderful. In fact, in the spirit as I was praying this morning and during the service, it felt like spring to me. I know it's fall, <laughs> I know it's October, but it felt like to me like spring because all I saw were these new, very young-looking green branches starting. I feel like abiding places in a wonderful season. You're budding out. You're moving into a new place, and I feel like you're, it's a springtime for you as a church. And I want to talk about this freedom because there's a culture of freedom that, you, that God is calling the church to have now because I want to let you know out there in that media, Facebook, circus world, there has never been less freedom in years in our country. People's ideologies are crucified. People are attacked for their political views. People are, there, there's more people feeding racial tensions there is so much out there that is contrary to true freedom. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And guess what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The first place it begins is the Spirit is within you. There's freedom in you. Now, I see a Green Bay Packer fan over here. Okay, now, I, I am a Ram fan from childhood, okay? I was born and raised in L.A., but I welcome you and bless you, Packer fan. Hey, they've got a great heritage. Who wouldn't be? It's a fantastic uh, team in their history. I know I'm joking, but guess what? I'm not joking. We are in a time and a season where our opinions, our ideas, our ideologies cannot be greater then the first two commandments of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. We are in a season where we represent freedom, true freedom. We're not defensive. We're not angry. We don't have an ax to grind. We don't have a chip on our shoulder. We don't need to be right. There are times when we will stand for truth. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we're looking to compromise or back off from the kingdom principles that God has called us to. 
But right now, we want the glory, and to get the glory, it's going to take relational freedom with Christ and with each other. Are you buying that? So what, is, what do I mean by a culture of freedom? Well, it means that, and I, oh man, your introduction, you couldn't have set it up better. Thank you. I feel honored. You said, I live what I b- believe. I believe what I, I say, and I do it. Well, the first thing is, is that I believe in a culture of freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, is that everyone is important. I know that goes without saying in some way, but in traditional churches, the people up front, I mean, it'd be really thinking. I mean, Miko and Alyssa are so talented, it would be tempting to think they're more important because they do a lot, right? He's going to be running home doing an email so you know where to come this week, you know? They, they, they fill in the blanks where they can, along, supporting, of course, as a team, right, with, with Pastor Charlie and Lori. But, but the thing is, is that every one of you are important. I, um, I think, was there a woman still out in the back with, a ch- with children out there? And I'll tell you, one of the children was, what? I, well, but I'm saying it was the kids. There was a kid, like, hanging on to, like, the pole that goes down, singing, and I'd gone to the restroom, and I was coming in, and I thought, wow, that is so beautiful. A song and a child's heart right in the church foyer, you know. The thing is, is that we talk about everybody being important, but guess what? Sometimes in you, in people, they don't feel important. This isn't really so much talking about an outward reality, even though it expresses itself. I'd like to talk about your inward reality. For example, maybe you're an immigrant. My best friend was family from Juarez, Mexico. I grew up. I thought I was part Mexican until I went to East L.A. and met some cholos. I don't know if you know what a cholo is, but uh, I went down to the gang areas, and I had a real encounter that let me know I was a payaso, which is a clown. You know, cultures are different everywhere you go. They can be racial. They can be political. They can be spiritual even. But guess what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I believe that to have eyes where we see value in everyone. You know, let me tell a story on myself. I was a young pastor, my first solo pastorate. I'd only been there like a week or two, and I remember these two sisters came. This was down by uh, Northrop. Uh, uh, You probably heard of that company. It was down in South Bay area of Los Angeles. And this these two sisters came. Now, the one sister, she had a little briefcase. She looked so organized. She, her hair was perfect. And she had like, you know, it, you know and she, was, uh, she just looked so organized. And, and her, her sister came with her. Her sister was about twice her size. Her hair was pasted to her head. She had some acne. And I'll never forget. I hate to tell the story on myself, but I want you to get it. My natural inclination was just, wow, this, this one woman, she's going to bring so much to the church. And the other one, it's not like I thought she was, wasn't, didn't have value, but I, in my natural eyes, I saw the value of the first one. You know what happened? Three weeks later, the all-organized woman left, but Heather stayed. Heather came to Christ grew like you wouldn't believe, became our youth pastor. 
she changed the entire culture of that church. And guess what? From that day, from that season on, I repented. And I said, Lord, everybody that comes through those doors, I want to have your eyes. I want to see their value, no matter how young, no matter how old. And I know we say we're like that. And I'm not saying you aren't. But I'm saying if we're going to have a true culture of freedom, we, we need to get excited about people are. You know, I, I used to have a Labrador, her, uh, and, and um, her name was Little, even though she was like 70 pounds, but she was the, the biggest, in, uh, you know, the smallest in the family. I was always shocked how excited Little was to see me. Man, it didn't matter what her day, what was going like, she'd see me, it's like, ah, you know, she'd almost come up, and, and I, sometimes I think, wow. In fact, I was very impressed today. Our kids were out in the foyer. Some churches that we go, you stand in the foyer, you don't even get greeted. I think you were doing it. Hey, how are you today? That may seem like a small thing. But you know what? When someone comes and stands there early before the service because there's no one in here, that could be the most awkward moment of their life <laughs> or that week. Or it could become the opposite, one of the most exciting times in their week just because you knew how to see them. That's a culture where people have value. You know, I think of, of the spirit, you know, I like to be biblical. I think of when, when, uh, when Samuel went to go anoint one of uh, Jesse's sons. We know it was David, but he didn't start off with David, right? He started uh, out with um, uh, Abinadab and, and, and uh, uh, Eliab. You know, Eliab was the first one. And you know what, what, what Samuel said to himself is, oh, yeah, this must be the one I'm going to anoint. In the natural, he jumped to it. And the Lord said, no, because I don't look at man the way man does. I don't look at the outer appearance. I look at the heart. See, a culture of freedom is cultivating that, that attitude that says, I want to have God's eyes. I want to see people with value, and I want to honor them. Amen? And I think that that's, uh, you know, I could go on and on just with that point, but I think it's really, really important uh, because true freedom translates that way. Number, number two, I believe that in a culture of freedom, we believe in your gifting and anointing. Meaning, we don't just think, again, these guys are the anointed, gifted ones. We think you're anointed and gifted. The person sitting in your chair, <laughs> yep, Look down, person in your chair has the Holy Spirit not only in them, but on you, which that's anointing for a purpose. You have a call in your life. Call might not be full-time church. In fact, most, most time it's not. Only 3% of people work at a church more than half time. Okay? So that means 97% of Christians aren't employed by a ministry. But guess what? What you do is ministry. All right? Who you are is ministry. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the glory of God, is upon you and rests on you. You know, Ann and I have often taken the Max to go to the uh, airport. And I have to admit, it's gotten a little weirder on the Max in recent time. But you know, it seems like almost every time we go, we get to minister to someone. Last, most recently, was a young man who just gotten out of a rehab center, and he was going home, and he didn't know if his family wanted him, and 
and we got to pray with him and minister to him. You know, you are anointed. And I believe in a culture of freedom, we call out your anointings. We call it out. We see it in you. You know, I've got a book back there. It's called The Five Fingers of God. People say, why is it called The Five Fingers of God? Well, it's on the fivefold, but I'll tell you why it's called The Five Fingers of God. Because how many of you want all five of your fingers? How many of you have ever had your fingers fighting about who was important? Have you ever had woken up and the thumb said, today's my day? Okay, that's all right. I see that hand, okay? Has your thumb has ever gone, oh, I'm more important. I, I want to be recognized. Or the pinky, you know? Come on, the pinky doesn't, you know. Hey, by the way, if you had a hurt pinky, you'd realize how much you use your pinky. One time I got a, a paper cut on it, and I was shocked how it impacted my drinking coffee. But what I want to say is this, is that, and I'm going to chat, this is a very challenging point. If you have freedom for ministry, do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what you impart? Do you know what your fivefold ministry is? Why am I saying this? Because in a culture of freedom, we're all set free to our purpose and destiny. Not, not one person has to look like the next. You know, my wife is amazing, okay? She, she's a daughter of glory. She releases glory wherever she goes. She teaches me about intimacy with God. She reminds me on how to make a priority of encounter. Every time I tell her I was having time with the Lord, she goes, what did he say? What did he do? What's he doing? You know, it's like, I better get prepared when I see, after I see God, you know? I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, uh, get questions because she's, what is, she's just calling that out of me. See, in a culture of freedom, we honor your relationship with God. We're not telling God or telling you what you should do as much as we're saying, what is God telling you to do? What's God put on your heart? What is God healing in you? What is God stirring in you? What is God calling you to? See, the culture of freedom is prioritizing what is God doing. That's what Jesus said. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He only does what He sees the Father doing because we're recognizing and then organizing. You don't organize first. You recognize first. What is God doing? This week, we believe that there is a call to prayer and to fasting because we believe that God wants to use us to come in agreement with heaven to open and unlock things that God wants to release in this region. Wow. That's recognizing and then organizing. And so, you know, some of you are called to the fast. If You, you know, some can't fast. You know, um, I remember when we used to lead fast, we found, you know, some people's work or different things, diets, whatever physical conditions. But whatever you can do to be a part, we encourage you to really ask the Lord, how can I be a part of this, even if it's in a small way? And I know that He's going to honor it as you're unified in it. But there's freedom. How about let's say someone said, you know, no, I'm not going to fast right now. I can't fast. I had a guy at my church. He was a uh, UPS driver. And he said, you know what? Right now, if I fasted, I would fall down weak carrying those boxes by about 10 or 11 a.m. I can't do it. And, uh, and so um, there was another person who had a similar condition. And so I just joked with him. I said, you know, 
um, if you can't fast, would you just kind of like let me know when you have a great hamburger or something? <laughs> let me know when you had a good piece of pizza. We might even have you do it on Sunday morning for a testimony during our fast at the best hamburger. Why? Because I wanted a culture of freedom. I didn't want people feeling bad if they didn't feel called to the fast or for some reason. Let's say this week you had a a birthday or someone's family event, and you decided that you're going to go to that and you're going to participate. You wouldn't have to feel bad. Oh, I hope Pastor Charlie doesn't find out. You want a culture that says, you know what, I love the fast. However, one night I went over and I had the best cheesecake I've ever had in my life. We had a great celebration for my child. What would Charlie say? I don't know about that. He'd say, awesome. I'm so glad you invited your, you know, enjoyed your family. And by the way, the fast ends Sunday. I would love a piece of that cheesecake next Monday. You know, that's all good. See, but that's a culture where we recognize each other. We're, we're not, it's not a spirit of control. It's, it's allowing you have your relationship with God. You know, right now I'm not able to stand the whole service because my knees just had a, a procedure on them and they're getting healed and, and I'm going to stand during the service, you know. But sometimes I look around and I see some other people sitting and I, I'm so happy because I don't want to be in a church where I'm the only one sitting there thinking, oh, he's the speaker and he doesn't even stand up for God, you know. Uh, that's not freedom. I'm doing it because for an hour, you know, it's harder to do it the whole time. Yeah, I could. To this morning, I'm fine. I'm doing great. But thank you. I saw that stool, and I was saying I might bring it over if I needed to, if my wife was going to go on longer, but she didn't. You know, it's all good. Be careful with your own call. Make it a priority, but be slow to criticize someone else's call. You know, I'll tell you an amazing story of this. I was in Amsterdam, and this man's name is Fritz. Fritz, for over 20 years, has gone down to the red light district where all the prostitutes are in the windows. How many have heard of the red light district? Probably almost everybody. And he would go down, and he would, after the shifts, he would go to the women, and he'd offer them food, and he'd pray with them. Often his wife would go built a small team, but sometimes it was very late hours, and he'd go down, and the church people, other outside churches, started criticizing him. He's a man down there. He's meeting these women. He wasn't meeting alone with them in a room or whatever. He was ministering to them. Guess what? He is called by many in that region the father uh, to, the, to the women on the street. Did you know that right now there are less women on the street in Amsterdam than there has been in decades and decades? When I met Fritz, I didn't know his story, how he'd been rejected by the church. And I looked at Fritz and I said, the Lord tells me that you're to be honored and that you're like a father to this city. He wept and wept. And the first thing he said is, would you come in and minister to my team? I said, I'd love to. And he said, and then maybe you can minister to some of the women on the street. And the Lord told me no. He said, don't minister to the women on the street 
minister to those that work there every day. When I went and ministered to all those people, many of them told me they'd never gotten a prophetic word in their life. I believe some of them didn't even know Christ. But here's the point. I honored their ministry. And more, you know, of course, people are intrigued. They want to go on the street and meet all the women. That sounds more interesting, exciting, a greater story to tell everybody at home. Do you know when I go to Amsterdam now, Fritz shows up anywhere I am. And the first thing he does is hug me. And he says, thank you. He just says, thank you. And he says, when are you going to come minister to the team? When are you going to come minister and, you know, he just, want, he just knows that, that, that that's a value. You know, it's exciting. People are going on the street. You may not want to go on the street. 10 o'clock, you know what? You don't have to, you know, the prayer walk, it's not intimidating. But if you can't go, maybe pray for them. Just the way we honor other people is we allow them to tell. We ask them, what happened? Did you have any stories? Like, I love today your story in the Uber. So there's a culture where we honor one another's giftings and one another's ministry. Number three, we are not becoming a family. We are one. In a culture of freedom, you're family. Why? Because you're in Christ. We have the same Father. We were baptized. We have one baptism. This is what Ephesians 4 is all about before the fivefold ministry. It's all about being a family. I know, again, we talk about being a family, but some of you, I'm going to say this in love, it's hard for you to be a part of a family. You maybe grew up in a, in a family that wasn't very close. Maybe you're not even close to your own, you know, your, your own natural family. All the more reason to cultivate a real culture of family. You know, um, I believe that that this takes an intentional work to do, uh, to, be in, to, to talk about what does it mean to be a family. What, is, what does it mean? You know, you're, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not going to change. That's, that's in, you're, it's Him who breaks the dividing walls down. But you know what? Right now, people need a family. I encourage you to use family language a lot as a church. And tell people you belong. They walk in, hey, hi, hi, you're not a stranger. Do you know that actually the word for hospitality in the Greek means love of strangers? So there's a family here. And guess what? Some of you don't, like I said, you're not, uh, you're not physically, there's not proximity. You know, we lived separate from our kids for years. Now we have all our kids in the same city. And... Uh, and we get to see them more. We just had dinner at their house on Thursday night. And, you know, it's like family. You know, we get together, and we love one another, and we honor one another. But, you know, it takes family relationships. They, they take a lot of wisdom. How many think family relationships are always easy? My kids didn't raise their hand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're not always easy. There's a cost. Did you know that there's a cost to freedom? There's a cost to love. There's a cost to sacrifice. There's a cost to intimacy. And like I said, there's a cost to freedom. 
See, you, you're saying, well, Mark, what does this all have to do with glory? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I believe when there's freedom, it invites the presence of the Lord. Why? Because verse 17 of chapter 3 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom in your church, freedom in your heart, freedom in your ministry, freedom in your family. You know, during COVID and the opportunities I had to preach, by the way, how many saw me online during uh, COVID at this church? Okay. I, I think I had a few couple times where it, we were just by ourselves in the sanctuary. And uh, us, I think us six, you know, and, uh, and, and so, um, but we, we shared. And, you know, but during the COVID time, there was, there was a lot of, of politic, politicizing on a lot of people's parts. And I d was doing a message on unity, uh, found out, you know, Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I was so blown away by people coming to me and saying, I'm not even talking to my own kids. They won't even talk to me. I mean, I'm going to go there. I had more people talk to me about identity confusion of their children and their grandchildren, you know? And it was painful because they felt like they lost relationship. Right now, people are so tender uh, for um, hurt. It's like they've been vulnerable and they've shut down. I've never seen, they call this an epidemic or a pandemic, but I am shocked at the level of isolation that's become real in our culture. And it's not just ideological. Um, it is partly. I think right now we need a healing in our family and in our families. And we want to see the glory in our family. And so right now we're calling in the true freedom all these principles, and believing that God wants to do something. But I tell you, if people go to the church and they don't experience and see the family, where are they going to experience it? They may not have it at all in their life. And, um, you know, God wants to heal, I believe, uh, us to our heal our families. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another... And build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So God is calling us to that. Amen? Fourth one, I know this was probably implied about in the first one, but I really believe this is an important part of the message. In a culture of freedom, all ages, all generations are important. Do you know that when I go to a church, most churches, it's like, they focus on one, you know. They want to be youth-oriented. They want to be children. They want to be, a, you know, and, and naturally we look around. There's some old, a couple older people here, all right? But you know what? God put this desire in my heart. I was going to, I've been going to Kenya with Anne. We've been going since 1999. And again, to give God glory, we didn't mean to start a network we now have 7,000 churches. We're the mother and father to a movement in Kenya. Isn't that amazing? And we have leaders, sons and daughters, 
that are leading that movement. And we like to take you, and our favorite thing to do is to drop you off in a village in pairs or three or four. And the most important thing to me is I love to drop off all ages. When I lead a trip, I pray for someone at least in their 70s. I'll take 80s. I'd be glorious. <laughs> but I always pray that our team, and by the way, I take care of them. We have a resort right on the water, okay? You say a resort on a mission trip? Yeah, you need to be refreshed. We all do. Plus, I take my spiritual sons to swim. They've never swam in their life, even though they're 50 years old. Take them snorkeling or something. But I just love when we can go with three and four generations on a team because when they look at us, they go, that's not our, that's not our culture. Actually, in, in the culture, men, middle-aged men are important. Children aren't important. Youth have very, virtually no voice. And the elderly don't have very much of a voice either. But the culture of freedom recognizes the power and the presence that is in all ages. For example, I don't know this younger woman here, right here. No, this one here. I'm talking about the woman in the gray here. <laughs> right? Grab your hand real quick. No, it's the, I'm, I'm sorry. Yuda. Yuda. How often do you pray for other people? I know you do. You're a powerful intercessor. And I can see the anointing on you. And then the, one, the younger woman that did raise her hand, you don't know how much life you're giving and how much you impart. Right now, um, God uses you both in different ways. And, you know, when you learn to recognize that and talk about it, cultivate it, Sit down after the service. Have a coffee for a minute. Ask Uda, how's it going? What, what's, your, what's this young woman's name? Huh? Okay. And then just ask her. Don't be intimidated. You know, sometimes ages kind of act a little weird, like, oh, they, they wouldn't be interested in me. Is that true? Oh, you guys are better at that? Okay, good. In some cultures, yeah, well, you got the culture of freedom then. But, you know, in some cultures, it's kind of like when people come here, no matter what age, go to them. Don't be intimidated. Don't make that. Don't seem disinterested. You'd be amazed. I mean, this guy shared a vision of being picked by Jesus. Now, he did it publicly, but I bet every day, every week, he's getting stuff like that. You know, there was a, a man named uh, Peter Wagner. Does anybody ever remember, heard the name Peter Wagner? He was a, a dear friend. And every time I saw Peter, I would ask him this one question. Peter, what have, what have you eaten that's strange lately? And he'd go, oh, yeah, I was just, I was just in uh, Sydney, Australia, and I had some lamb brains. You know, he just loved to tell me stories like that. When he had crocodile, when he had this and that. And I always just had so much fun with Peter. But you know what? On the few occasions he put his hand on me and said something, like a father, like a grandfather. One time he said to me, Mark, why do you only have one stream of income? He goes, that will not be enough for you to fulfill your destiny. I think you should have five streams of income. I was too busy, and I went to the Lord, and I said, how could I have five streams of income? I now have eight. Some of them are tiny streams. 
But guess what? I don't feel the pressure. I can fulfill my destiny in Kenya. Right now we're supporting orphans. We have a, we have a school with 600 orphans and students. And Ann and I are building a, a safe home for girls. Right now, 24 girls. And guess what? We're, we're going to provide 50% of the financing for that home. Thank you, Peter. The wisdom that Peter gave me. Instead of being a beggar, I'm the giver. Um, another thing Peter said to me is I had a huge change. I went from executive directors with Cheon. And I went with exec to, to just, I was doing the missions, overseeing all the missions. I still do. I'm the HIM. If you go on their website, I'm the HIM missions apostle. But Peter, my relationships, I said, my relationships changed so much because I, my role changed. And he said to me, he said this, Mark, some relationships will change when your role changes, but real relationships don't, aren't based on roles. They're based on love. Man, when I resigned four years later, became laid down my entire salary. I offered half time. They gave me full. But guess what? It was the best change in my life. Because now, wherever we go is based on relationship. We have a relationship. Did you know you guys sew into us monthly? Did you know that? Did you know? What do you do? You send me to Kenya. You send me to Boston. You send me to places where they can't give honorariums. And because you've been faithful, we are your missionaries. Ann and I are your missionaries. And I want to thank you. And I want you to hear my message because my message is I love the generations. And I tell those stories about Peter because every one of you here, with all your life experience, all the wisdom, just encouraging others is so important. And then we got the younger ones. We love it, your energy, your excitement. And some of you are older, act like you're younger, and some of you are younger, act like you're older. So it's all in between. But the truth is, is that there's, there's generational identity. And the last one is this. Is in a culture of freedom, we know how to handle conflict. Uh-oh, did I go there? Is conflict normal? Yeah. How many of you grew up in a home where you just avoided conflict? Anybody? How many grew up in a home where it was just full of conflict? Okay. I just said, by the way, I just had to go to, how many of you just got by surprise by the person next to you? No, I'm kidding. I just, I, you know why I had to go to Toronto? I had to go to Toronto because there was a, a church split. But you know what? I went in and made it better. I didn't fix it, but I made sure that they ended well. No mudslinging, no attacking, but literally publicly blessed. Now, it wasn't really a true church split. It was three churches that tried to be one, and it didn't work. So the one church, one of the churches, left it. So it wasn't a split. They, they came later, and they left early. But the thing is, is I went in and I told them, as much as you are not choosing this, it's not what you wanted the outcome to be. The way that you treat one another on your way out will be rewarded by the Lord. And so the service, I literally had to lead a service 
where they blessed one another, where they laid hands on each church. Some were crying, do you really need to go? And really, for that church that did leave, they did need to go. Their senior pastor retired. They were primarily an Asian culture, Korean culture, and it was with the Armenians, and the Armenians wanted to fight about everything, and the Koreans wanted to not talk about anything. Okay? Um, and I don't try to make an oversimplification here, but they tried, and it got worse. And I believe that they're, they weren't ready to repair, and I believe their separation will lead them. And guess what? I had them tell each other, there's a time where we're going to fellowship again and do things together, and I believe they will. It was a matter of identity. I just want to say this. There are conflicts in your life that don't turn out the way you want them to, and they're painful. But just like our first point, where is God? What is His will? What does He want to do? That's why we're not afraid of conflict. In fact, we can say this, abiding place is the safest place to have conflict. I've actually even challenged churches, would you consider a ministry of reconciliation team that would meet with people that were going through irreconcilable differences? Not mediation. Don't tell them we're not a legal mediator. We're just here to love on all of you, and we want to help bring healing where God can bring healing. God can bring reconciliation. I'll end with this. I'll share you an amazing story. I had a couple, when I was a pastor at Rock Creek Church, come to me, and they were divorced. They'd gotten divorced even the day before, and they were now deciding what to do with the children. There was rights that one had based on the, 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 the agreement, and they were, trying, they were now arguing over which days it would be and how long it would be because it wasn't all specified. And so we sat down to talk about it, and I just asked them a question. I said, why did you fall in love? How did you fall in love? And they looked at me like, why, why do you want to talk about that? We're divorced, you know? And I said, I just was curious. What happened? And they started talking. They started weeping. They started repenting. They got remarried three months later. Now, there was another counselor that came in, helped. There was a lot of the story that God did. But this was the day after their divorce was final. I learned a very valuable lesson in that process. Trust God. Listen. And what was it? Obey or respond? You know, we can be the ones that can be the peacemakers. We can be the ones that are the bridge. We can be the ones that are the overcomers. We can make a difference and invite the Lord of glory to come in when it seems impossible. That's what I want to be like. I want to be the safest person in the world. <laughs> I'm not. 
I would like to be. That has been my prayer literally these last few months. I want to be the absolute safest person in the world. I want people to know that I accept them, love them, don't judge them. That doesn't mean I'll never confront sin, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's pretty good at convicting. It's a lot better than me, and I trust that He will move. Can I pray a blessing for abiding place? I'm going to pray that you will see a greater glory, but practically you'll see and experience a greater freedom within, and you'll extend it to others, and I believe you'll see a greater sustained glory in your midst. Why? Because unlike Moses, Christ in you, the hope of glory, resides. Christ in you, the one who's the author and perfecter of your faith, lives in you. And guess what verse 18 says? As we contemplate on His glory, we are transformed into His likeness, and we go from glory to glory. That's my message. We're becoming more like Him by living the kind of relational love that He wants us to have. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for the online listeners too. We thank You for each person here. We thank You, Lord, that everyone here and listening belongs. We thank You that everyone listening that's here has a mighty call in their life, and we want to honor it. We thank You, Lord, that everyone listening and everyone here is a part of a family and that we're called to an incredible unity. Lord, we thank You that this is a, is a community where we welcome all ages, Lord, all races, all ages. All, we're, we're inclusive, not necessarily just in the world's way, but in a biblical way, in a spirit-led way that unites us in Christ first. We pray for that, Lord, for abiding place. And Father, we just pray, lastly, this will be the safest place. And I heard that said early in the service, those exact words. Lord, we pray that this is a place where people can find healing and reconciliation, forgiveness and blessing. And with that, I command and release a blessing upon abiding place, upon its leaders and upon each member. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.